Welcome to Friendship Talks. Are you listening? I am Jennifer Duru Perry, your host for this episode. And today we are going to talk about a very important topic mental health. We have guest Mrs. LaShonda Fay, leader of the Health Subcommittee for the Social Justice Ministry of Friendship Missionary Baptist Church. And then we also have Dr. Larry A. Jones. He is also a member of the Health Subcommittee. First, we are going to start with Mrs. Faye here. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you, Jennifer. Good. Can you tell us a little bit about the health subcommittee, what you do, what your purpose is, what scripture guides you in your work? Okay, yes. Um, For the last three years, um, my team has been focused on the mental health aspect of social justice with an annual program. Loving Me, Mind, Body, Soul, a Mental Health Symposium. The Friendship Missionary Baptist Church Social Justice Ministry, in partnership with our sister churches, Antioch Missionary Baptist Church, St. Paul Baptist Church, and Temple Bethel, hosted its first virtual symposium. Uh, This collaborative effort began in 2021 with shared concerns about the isolation, depression, and mental stresses of COVID-19 virus, along with the great loss of life experienced because of the pandemic. We actively reach out to various organizations that are passionate about servicing the community regarding mental health. Our purpose is to create a safe space for open dialogue and build and share resources with the community. We hope and pray that our attendees will seek help if needed, share resources with others that need help, and recognize and understand and learn Over the last three years, we have collaborated with many resources, such as the Mecklenburg Deputy Health Director, Charlotte Mecklenburg Police Department, Carolina Care Partnership, C.W. Williams Community Health Center, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, NAMI, Archwell Health, Atrium Department of Psychiatry, Alexander Youth Network, AYN, Uh, Mental Health America of Central Carolinas, and many more to provide an informative and enlightening experience for our viewers. So how can viewers see the past symposium? Because it was recorded, right? Yes. um, our, Our first two symposiums were virtual. The one for 2023 was in person, but we have, you can search on YouTube, under Friendship Missionary Baptist Church YouTube page for the 2122 symposium. And you can search for on Friendship Missionary Facebook page for the 2023 symposium. I've attended the symposiums before, and you all have amazing topics. Can you help educate everyone on everything that's covered? Uh, Yes. In 2021, the topics were senior depression, senior isolation and and death and dying, thriving mentally, physically, and spiritually during the pandemic and beyond. And we had the Mecklenburg Deputy Health Director, Dr. Raynard Washington, to report on the county's pandemic status. 
And 2022, we actually had three sessions focused on grief, school to prison pipeline, how can I keep my child out of it, managing and coping with emotions, it's okay. Um, And then in our second session, we had uh, our topics were depression, a time for caring, recognizing the signs of cognitive decline, how prescription drugs affect our mental health, mental health and its impacts and its impacts in Mecklenburg County in October. In our November session, we had several organizations come and talk about the services they provide. In 2023, this past October, we had one session focused on social media and its effects on mental health, suicide, what are the signs, why do people make that choice, the after effects of COVID on our mental health, and mental health and substance abuse. One of our subcommittee members is Dr. Larry Jones, who is with us today, who is also here to share with us on a topic, unfortunately, relatable to a lot of people, suicide. Yes, yes, it is. So, Dr. Jones, we're going we're gonna to turn to you. And before we get into the Q&A, I wanted to make sure the listeners knew a little bit more about the work that you've done, not just your level of education. I see all these letters. I see M- MD, MBA, life coach, author, presenter, 2022 Chad Lifetime Achievement Award recipient. So this is definitely your ministry. Um, that That is what I'm getting from this in your life. And I understand you are a retired pediatrician and healthcare executive. I understand that after graduating with a Bachelor of Science uh, degree from Johns Hopkins and an MD from Johns Hopkins School of Medicine, uh, you completed your pediatric residency, genetics fellowship, and later an executive healthcare management MBA from Washington University in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, that's outstanding. That's an outstanding just body of work in terms of education. What resonates with me is the work that you have done with those with ADHD. Um, I commend that because I do believe that the deep work with that particular diagnosis isn't really discussed um, to the magnitude that uh, that it should be. So we will get into a, a shift from mental health generally to specifically talking about mental health's relation to suicide, uh, which is a tough topic, but I'm sure you're prepared to talk about it. Yes. Thank you for for having me. Um, I definitely would like to thank the Social Justice Ministry and the Health Subcommittee for this opportunity to talk to you today about mental health and suicides. You know, from what um, Jennifer has told you, I am a mental health advocate and I've worked in several different roles in healthcare and volunteered in several organizations to support removing the stigma of mental health while sharing information to guide people through our healthcare system. So how do you start and continue a conversation about mental health? How do you do that? Well, first of all, you know, you don't need special training just to open a conversation. Um, You need to be a concerned person. And that's really where you begin. The important first step is to find out where the other person is 
regarding their mental health and helping them to get the support and the treatment that they need. But most importantly, helping to remove the stigma. Let people know that you're willing to talk about mental health. The easiest way to do that is to be open about your own mental health. Try to think of mental health in the same way that you think about physical health. If you've seen a mental health professional in the past, tell them about your experience and how it helped you. Most importantly, be truthful and honest. This casual reference can have a powerful effect in creating a safe space to talk. It can. It can. Uh, thank you for that. So what do you say when you believe that someone is struggling mentally? What do you say? Well, you have to trust your gut. And again, it's about being honest, truthful, and being a good listener. If you think someone is having a hard time, speak with them privately. Start with an expression of care, followed by an observation, such as, I care about you, and I've noticed that you haven't been yourself lately. You seem more frustrated than you've been in a while, and I'm wondering how you're doing. But normalize mental health by talking about it directly. Perhaps saying, I wonder if what's happening at work is stressing you out. With everything that's going on in your family, I wonder if you're feeling overwhelmed. Let them know you get it and that it's okay and normal to struggle in response to life's challenges. Things like, I've been through things in my life too. And what I've found is that talking about it helps. Whatever it is, I'm here to listen and to support you. It may not be the perfect time, but it doesn't have to be perfect. You may not always be able to speak with the person at the moment you notice these changes in behavior, but circle back soon to just a quiet place where both of you can talk openly. You might start with, the other day I noticed you seemed upset. I made a note that I wanted to talk to you. I'm really concerned about how you're doing. Let's talk. Again, important to create a safe space for an honest discussion. One of the things I love about what you just did is you actually gave real sentences that I encourage any listener to go back and listen to again. I think part of the struggle for anyone who is witnessing someone else go through a mental health uh, either crisis or situation is arming themselves with the vocabulary to approach the topic. So thank you very much for doing that. So this has actually happened uh, personally where I tried to approach someone and there was a denial of a problem. So what do you do when someone doesn't see what you see that they, they deny that there is a problem? You try to address it that you see a change in their behavior and perhaps pointing it out to them, particularly if there's a change in their mood. You know, someone that's generally very calm and easygoing and all of a sudden just seems very high, strong and anxious. They may be more comfortable talking to someone else. So you can suggest a therapist or just a visit to their primary care physician. Remember now that anywhere in the country, anyone can call 988 to talk to a live person 
to get advice and a referral to a mental health provider. I'm going to reiterate that again. 988 is the number to call to talk to a live person to get advice and a referral to a mental health provider. Thank you for that as well. Mental health and access to mental health is frequently in the news. It's on social media. So the topic in and of itself is coming into mainstream. But tell us, how common is mental illness? And doesn't everyone, to some degree, have access? Well, we should. But in actuality, no. Uh, The Centers for Disease Control, which keeps all types of health statistics about citizens of the U.S., reported that 8.4% or 27.6 million Americans of all ages did not have health insurance in 2022. And during that same period, 4.2% or 3 million children did not have health insurance. But even if you do have health insurance, the coverage will vary from one plan to another and from one company to another. So it's important that you check your insurance coverage and particularly what the mental health coverage is within your, uh, with your insurance. And then on the, the supply side too, sometimes there isn't a mental health care provider for children because the demand is so high. Um, I've encountered some individuals, they have to wait. When I say months, I mean like four to five months. Uh, for their child to have access to someone that could help them. Uh, And that's a very long time for a child who's in pain. It's a long time for anyone. Yes, it is. Yeah. So, I mean, just to add, there's a couple of uh, uh, federal catchment systems that are designed to serve as a safety net, such as the federally qualified health centers, which are in pretty much every major city, and there are a number of them spread out across rural areas throughout the country. And they're now required to have at least one mental health provider. But again, the severity of the problem, the frequency of the problem far out exceeds the providers that are currently available. The mental health illness is fairly common. You might wonder, you know, how common is it? Well, statistics basically say that like about one in five adults in the United States are recorded as having a mental health issue. In 2020, that number would have been about 52.9 million Americans. So then you might ask about age. Is age a factor? The age of onset for mental illness according to the American Psychiatric Organization, that 50% of mental illness begins by age 14. So it can begin in childhood and then extend into adulthood. And of course, the longer it goes untreated, the more severe potentially it can become. What are the signs of mental illness? Well, there are a number of different signs. In fact, a long, long list, but I'll try to mention some of the more common signs. To begin, excessive worry, fear of sadness. Problems concentrating or learning. Sudden irritability or anger. 
that just seems to come out of nowhere in situations that really shouldn't provoke that level of response or emotion. Extreme mood swings. And particularly some one of the things that we see frequently in adolescents when they are really beginning to struggle is isolating themselves and avoiding social situations. But of course, adults can do the same thing. There can be significant changes in your sleeping habits or your eating habits. And of course, with loss of sleep, folks also become more irritable. Thus the anger and the argumentativeness that we reported, I mentioned earlier. And of course, with decreased eating, there's always the opportunity for significant weight loss. There can also be this general tenseness in the demeanor and the actions of the person, sometimes even heard within their uh, speaking patterns or their voice pattern. Unexplainable health problems where people have made multiple visits to a provider and they find nothing, but the symptoms persist. And of course, substance abuse and people who are experiencing episodes of self-harm or even suicidal thoughts. Dr. Jones, can I ask you, how would a parent or even a teacher, if they're seeing someone who's 13, 14, 15 years old, and they're exhibiting some of these um, signs, how would you separate that from hormonal (laughs) changes that come with being a teenager or teenage angst, I think is how people may have categorized some of this. Yes. Well, one of the ways it's going to be in terms of the sudden change uh, in the demeanor of a student, particularly now if you're talking about sixth, seventh graders, they're a different group. It probably, I feel, would be a little more difficult in terms of with them because their change from fifth grade to sixth grade is fairly abrupt in what's required of them at school and difficult for many of them to adjust. But as you really watch the student, there just doesn't seem to be any relief from those mm. um, those symptoms. Gotcha. I mean, even in sixth grade, most kids are not going to be angry all the time. Mm. They'll be angry some of the time. But for that child who just sort of sits in a corner and is really angry all the time, it would, would be cause for concern to at least mention that to the parents such that they would be aware if they're not seeing similar or related um, signs at home. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. So out of all of those symptoms, what are the common warning signs? Or are all of those really the common signs? All of those are the common signs. Wow. If, you know, a more inclusive list could be 2025 or so. You know, when you go to mm. resources such as the Centers for Disease Control and other organizations such as NAMI that was mentioned before, the National Alliance for Mental Illness, they'll give you a list of 20 or more. And I try to bring it to the most common ones, the ones that people are more likely to notice. Mm -hmm. So 
any one of these, and particularly if you're seeing more than one of these in an individual as an abrupt change, would be cause for concern to either have a conversation if it's an adult or if it's a child to recommend that, talk to the parent saying that you've noticed this change in their child in school or in some other social situation, but you know, definitely bringing it to the attention of the parent. What about specifically the African-American community um, in terms of what you're seeing in suicide rates, um, what you're seeing in terms of mental illness? Um, Friendship Missionary Baptist Church is predominantly African-American. Our listeners are predominantly African-American. Could you, could you share how this impacts us specifically? Uh, certainly. Well, first of all, suicide is increasing in all racial and ethnic groups in the United States. And the rates in African-Americans particularly increased by about 22% from 2018 to 2021. Of course, that includes all the stressors and all the isolation, the issues that were compounded by, by COVID. But overall, we're finding that African-Americans have a significant increase in their suicide rates. In fact, the numbers that I found are probably really low. Because when you think about suicide, there's the clear, straightforward suicide where somebody leaves a note or you've had prolonged talk about potentially doing harm to themselves. Then there are situations where there may be a sudden drug overdose. There are particularly around hopelessness in our teens that in our culture with the gun carrying issues that we have, you could basically commit suicide by just having a gun and pulling it on a policeman. But mm-hmm. would that be classified as suicide with these statistics? The answer would be no. Mm. I'm going to give everyone some space because this is a very, um, I think this topic is much more impactful and touches a lot more people than maybe is conversed publicly. I would agree. We'll uh, shift a little bit. We hinted before on people who might deny that there is an issue, and you gave us the language on how to converse with that person. What if someone tells you that they are really struggling and they reveal that they are having thoughts of suicide? How do you... How do you engage in a conversation with that admission? Well, based upon the previous conversations, I mean, you've opened the door for them to be open, that you've given them the safe space, that you now can continue that real conversation about their mental health. Here's how you can respond. First, let them know that you are listening and taking them seriously. It's important to express your empathy and that you want to help. You can try to put them at ease by saying, I'm so glad we had the chance to talk about how you're feeling. Thank you for sharing this with me. I'm right here for you. Some people will feel a little uncomfortable or under pressure to get that person to help that they need immediately. But realize that someone opening up in this way is positive because this is 
the opportunity to be able to make sure they get some help. Let the person know that you want to help and that this will not negatively affect your relationship with them by saying something such as this, nothing that you're going through changes how I feel about you and how awesome I think you are. Encourage them to keep talking and for you as the listener to really actively listen. Let them know that you want to hear more about what they're going through. Listen actively by expressing curiosity and interest in the details. Maybe saying, wow, that situation really sounds difficult. How does that make you feel? Ask them about the changes in their life and how they're coping. Find out how long they felt this way and ask if this has caused any changes in their life. Perhaps asking, how long have you felt this way? When did these feelings start? Have these thoughts led to any specific changes in your life? such as trouble sleeping or difficulties at work? Are you getting out as much as before? Are you isolating yourself? But you should be direct and really ask the person if they're thinking about suicide. Because asking them is not gonna really change the situation what it does, if you think someone is thinking about it, you trust your gut, you ask them directly. And the research has shown that it will not put the idea in, them, in their head or push them into action. Mm. Often they'll be relieved that someone cares enough to, to listen mm. and hear about their experiences. You might ask them, are you thinking about killing yourself? Does it ever get so tough that you think about ending your life? but being careful not to be judgmental. Make sure you're not saying something before you're passing judgment and saying, you're not thinking about doing something stupid, are you? Or don't say, think of what this would do to your parents. You, know, you need to stay calm, take the time to listen, and to ask some follow-up questions to reassure them that help is available and that these feelings are a signal that it is time to talk to a mental health professional. And then how would you get them connected to that professional? Is it, is it 988, that, uh, the number from earlier? Is it another avenue? Um, yes, I mean, you can make some suggestions. I mean, the first thing you want to do is, you know, I would commend anyone for having this conversation. You're not a mental health professional, but you're a person who cares about the person that you're speaking to. And they've told you some things about suicide. It's a warning. And really just trying to urge them to seek help. And you can approach the subject this way. I hear that you're struggling, and I think it should really be helpful for you to talk to someone who can help get you through this. You know, therapy can help us process any challenges we're facing, and we all face serious stuff sometimes. I really think talking to someone can help you gain some perspective and keep things from getting worse. You could say something like, you're in good company. 
the highest performing executives and elite executives lean on mental health professionals to improve their performance. Reaching out for professional guidance and therapy is a strong thing to do, and it can make all the difference. Helping to connect. Sometimes the first contact to the professional help can be the hardest. Offer to help them connect in whatever way that you're comfortable. You could say something such as, uh, I could call your insurance with you or go online with you to find a mental health professional. Or just, I can sit with you while you do it. We can figure it out together. I could drive or walk you to your appointment. Should you be concerned about privacy? Um, the individual probably will be, but they just need to be reassured that the person they're talking to is something, one that they can trust and that they have their best interests at heart. But in terms of the information being shared by the healthcare professionals or getting back to their job is pretty well unfounded because mental health treatment has greater confidentiality standards than physical health. Hmm. I'm sure most folks have seen on those various forms they sign, uh, HIPAA, H-I-P-A-A, and employers cannot get access to their uh, employees' mental health records unless the employee agrees to sign a release. But you know, they really cannot be forced, uh, forced to do so. So it's very, very safe. That's good to hear. So after talking to to both of you about this heavy topic, um, I'm feeling a mix of emotions because on one hand, I'm glad that there's so many more resources than I think there used to be. So that's refreshing to hear. On the other hand, how do you personally stay engaged in this work? What what drives you and and continues this as a ministry for you? Um, because it, it's literally a, an area that saves lives. Well, for me, you know, most of the folks that I come in contact with on a daily basis in my work as a coach are not anywhere near suicidal. I mean, one of the ways that I really engage with them is making sure that I'm in touch with their feelings, mm -hmm. how they feel about where they are. They primarily come to me because of some uh, sign that's sort of out of control. They feel that they're sort of out of balance with an equilibrium for themselves. So my goal is to get to know them, to see them, to watch their facial expressions, to listen to the, their voice tones so that I can recognize when there is a subtle change such as that sort of ripple in your voice when you get nervous or excited or a sudden change in the facial expression that's very different from the usual facial expression that they have in most of those sessions. So then I'm quick to ask, you know, how are you feeling? What's going on? Is there something that you're concerned about to sort of stay in touch with how they feel about what's going on? And then we can get into more detail if there's something that's really disturbing or if it's just a momentary uh, concern. But, you know, 
to me, that's one of the true miracles of Zoom. It gives me that opportunity to be there with the person when I'm not really there. That I can use my powers of observation that I've been trained with over many, many years to be cognizant of those sometimes very subtle changes. Um, it brings me into our scripture, Proverbs 21.3, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. My experience and passion with this is my own experience, um, dealing with loved ones, people I care about that have suffered and didn't have the resources um, to get help mm. or delayed in getting that help and seeing how that affects the family and the people around them. Um, several instances dealing with family members and even with my own um, trials that I've been through. This led me to therapy. And I'll give you, uh, I know we've been kind of heavy-hearted with this conversation, but just lighthearted, a little yes. lightheartedness. <laughs> um, a couple people say, you still in therapy? And I say, yes, and it's my business. <laughs> because, you know, for me, it, you know, I, I don't have to tell people why I'm in there. But for me, it's, it's saving my life. Mm -hmm. It's allowing me to cope with a lot of things that I didn't feel like I had control over. I just kind of floated with it. Mm -hmm. And in the midst of that floating, I was losing myself. Mm -hmm. And so me going to therapy personally is saving my life. And I want to help others to find resources to, again, help save their lives as well. Amen. I want to be my own superhero. Amen. I love that. Very good. I love yes. that. <laughs> I, I really do. Um, and, and thank you for bringing it a little lighter because we're in the room together. We're, we're smiling. We're, we're bringing the information out. But I don't want the listener <laughs> to get to a sunken place. Um, but I will ask this question, too, because you brought up family, right? And it's really a question for you, Dr. Jones, if you, if you yes. could indulge. So how do you take care of yourself in the midst of someone else's uh, mental health crisis? Amen. So, you know, it, it's tough to see someone that you love and care about, Um kind of spiral. It's it's really tough to do that. Do you have any insight on how one can take care of themselves and how they should, especially if the person denies that they have a problem, right? Um, there could be yes. a resource drain, an emotional drain, spiritual drain. How does one take care of themselves with that situation? I mean, we are part of a church community, and mm -hmm. this is where we need to bring our church community friends in to assist us, mm. particularly around our children and our families. I mean, my wife and I wrote a book about raising our three sons with ADHD. And of course I have mm. ADHD as well. And it was that church village that gave us the strength to go mm. on to be able to manage with those three little boys who now are in their 40s and are all leading their own independent, uh, independent lives. So creating a village around 
your family. And it, they don't have to be physical family members, but people that care about you and your family. Those are the folks who give you the encouragement to go on. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are always things that you see with your children that you feel as a parent, you should be able to manage, you should be able to explain that, you know, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. But they have to experience things to a certain degree on their own. Now, we hope that they all have at least the mother wit to be able to listen sometimes to some of those most more serious things that we have to tell them. But lots of prayers, lots of uh, discussions with the members of your village in terms of ways to be able to support those around you. And of course, you know, when it becomes extreme, I mean, you just go to therapy. I mean, mm-hmm. I've, I've been, the wife's been. So, you know, it's not, it's not something that should be frowned upon. It should be looked upon as a strength as mm-hmm. the conversation went on that we discussed, as we've had. That is a sign of strength to be able to go to a therapist or a mental health provider to get through a crisis. Amen. That's mm-hmm. what they're there for. That's what they were trained for. Yeah. And just for my therapy, I just want to share, you know, um, when you're witnessing and being a part of loved ones that are hurting and you don't know how to help them, you pull out a piece of trauma on yourself. And if you don't deal with that trauma, this is the other end. I don't have a mental illness, but I've experienced things that's caused me trauma witnessing other people go through different things. And it compounds over time when you don't get help. So now I'm in the place where I'm scratching out all that trauma and dealing with it one by one. And I love my therapist, you know, and I I have a family therapist, not just for me, but for my children as well. They don't have to call and talk to them if they don't feel like it, but they have access to them anytime they want to. You know, and I think that's very important. And it's hard to find a group because it is a strain on our healthcare system with finding, you know, therapists um, that are available to you. But I, I ask that if you can seek them now when there's maybe not a problem and get them on standby, mm. that that will definitely help if something traumatic happens. And um, that's what I wanted to share. Sorry. No, that that's amazing. Um this has been a wonderful, wonderful podcast. Um, I feel like this in and of itself is is a form of therapy because you're learning about the resources. You're learning about how it personally affects folks. I want listeners to understand that there are resources in the church. Everyone that you're listening to is a member of a friendship and that if you go to the website, www.friendshipcharlotte.org, um, you can get connected to social justice ministry. You can get connected to Dr. Jones or Mrs. Faye. Um, and there are resources and knowledge there that can help you. Before we end the program, we have a few announcements, things that will take place at the church. The first is our vaccine clinic at Friendship Missionary Baptist Church. Walmart Pharmacy is sponsoring the administration of the COVID-19 flu and RSV vaccine at no cost. 
That clinic will be Sunday, December 3rd from 10 a.m. to 1 o'clock p.m. No registration is required. Once again, it will be at the church. So essentially you can go to church and then get your vaccinations. The second event is the Open Tables Dinner and Conversations on Restorative Justice that will also take place at the church on December 19th, that's a Tuesday, from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. So this is really a time where congregations can come together for fellowship and dining with the goal of building relationships based on our shared humanity that go beyond the divides of tribalism. You can register for this event on our church website, that's www.friendshipcharlotte.org. And we ask that you please RSVP so that we can better accommodate your attendance. The last event is one where you can celebrate the holidays with our Give the Gift of Life blood drive. That'll take place on Wednesday, December 20th from 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. Once again, at the church, you wanna make an appointment for this one, folks. So you can contact nurse Danita Terrell at 704-391-3856, or you can email her at D-T-E-R-R-E-L-L at friendshipcharlotte.org. Until then, thank you for listening to Friendship Talks. Are you listening? Thank you.